Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to our 426th podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We've been doing this for a long time. I'm happy that... podcasting has become massive. I mean, major radio stars are going podcasting and bringing their audiences with them. Mm-hmm. And it's really amazing. It's it's like, huh, I've almost stopped watching mainstream news and just listening to podcasts. I know. That's what everybody's doing. Yeah. That's what everybody's it's doing. It's just I mean, easy. It's wild. It's, I mean, that's how it got started, right? It was just easy. I remember when they, when like Steve Jobs announced that you could listen to a show like this just on your phone and that that was coming. And everybody was like, you can just connect something like to something in your pocket and put in your headphones and the headphones came free with the iPhone so that everybody would start to do it. And it just was like this unbelievable, confusing thing. And it took a couple of years because it was just so weird. I mean, people started doing podcasts, but like it took a couple of years for it to become something everybody was listening to. Yeah. And yeah, what are we now? A little more than 10 years past the iPhone, right? What a And it's a world changer. Changer, it's, yeah. It's just such a world changer when really, really people who can have anything they want and have private jets would get rid of their jets before they'd get rid of their iPhone. And, <laughs> and we, we hear that and we go, yeah, oh yeah, of course. You'd be cut off from the world. So it's like amazing podcasting. So maybe we should podcast about something I found very interesting. Tell me. I'm just happy to be here with you again. We've been kind of intermittent this summer, and it just feels good to be back in the in the spot, in the seat. Agree, agree at you. completely. I'm getting excited because we're about to see each other in real life. So we're going to record a little bit. I know. That's coming up very soon. Really yeah. exciting. Yeah. We're going to go and look up try to look up our ancestral home mm-hmm. well we've got several of them because we have several you know ancestors so one of them is Icelandic I mean we're I'm theoretically 25% Icelandic and um, Danielle is 12 and a half percent Icelandic something like that that's probably your 25% yeah okay yeah yeah I was just looking at the genealogy charts today and yeah, I mean, they were completely, that line was completely Icelandic, of course, because Icelanders famously are the purest gene pool in the world. They didn't have anybody else coming in for hundreds of years. So um, yeah, when our great, my great, great grandmother and grandfather emigrated to the US, it's funny when we say ancestral home because I think, and we're going to try to find this out, but we think maybe they didn't have a home there. Like we think they might've been extremely poor, essentially like sharecroppers who worked different farms that other people owned. And when the, I guess, I don't know if it was a famine exactly or something, it was hard times in Iceland and a lot of people left all at once and they were you know why you know why your great 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 grandmother left honestly this is amazing she 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 wrote about this in 1934 and i'll i'll send this over to you she left i mean things were not great it was tough 
and her she had married a young guy who was Wait a, a second. Seek- I'm in shock right now. So we know why she left? Yeah. I've been wondering this for years and years and years. <laughs> yeah, and her I've just found all this out. Been digging. Yeah, okay. and her, tell her me father and was tell actually everybody. A, her father was actually a fairly successful farmer. He was doing quite well. He had a had a shark oil operation going. He had several farms that he owned that people worked. And so she'd started when she grew up, she was dirt poor, like having to work really hard as a five year old to help the Uh family. Uh But they got more and more prosperous as time went along. So by the time she was in her mid twenties, they were doing okay. Um, But a single Icelandic person from her area went to Canada and then wrote back that it was like, you know, the streets were paved with gold, sort of a letter. Mm-hmm. And it just looked more attractive to Rosa and John than staying where they were. Limited opportunities where they were and hmm. unlimited opportunities in Canada is the way it sounded to them. So they got on a ship and took a three month journey um, over to initially they landed in Milwaukee having gone all the way through the Great Lakes wait wait, wait. Th- sorry so this is what she wrote yeah it sounded pretty good so we left everything we knew yes that was uh, right somehow that's exact- a little hard to believe people I think people did that a lot it was like wide open unlimited possibilities compared to very limited possibilities particularly yeah. because well, John is buy. a John is a shark fisherman and a successful shark fisherman and Mindy was a sea captain and his mid-twenties had earned his way up to being a sea captain. His father was a sea captain, so that's your great, 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 great grandfather mid in the early 1800s, mid-1800s. But Rosa didn't want anything to do with that and it was dangerous and I think she pushed him to not do that. Huh. And so they, I think they, on that basis, they went to the U.S. Well, ended up in, the, Canada. in Canada. So they we went to Milwaukee. We will have to have a conversation separately about this because we shall talk about this in a in a future podcast. <laughs> yeah, after we go, because when I went to Iceland almost ten years ago and went to the National Archive and and found her records, what the I didn't know. I didn't know that you knew that. Maybe, maybe we didn't have that information at we that didn't time because I, I didn't know that. No, um, we just got this from a relative. Okay, so what the archivist who helped me said, because I had told her they had this farm and we knew where the farm was and so she tried to find it and she said, I couldn't find any property records that they owned any property. But what I did find is that they were recorded in the various church parishes in multiple locations as the years went on. So they were moving around. So her guess was that they were moving around because they didn't own a place to live and they were moving. Therefore, they were renting places or working the land or whatever. So this is oh, so this interesting. Is, we need to sort this, this out. Is great. This is great. We're going to sort this all out. This yeah. is part of what we're going to Iceland for. Now, By the way, just to turn this back to in, in our investing podcast, Um, What that reminds me of is when I was studying entrepreneurship and the sort of sociology of entrepreneurial countries like the U.S. and countries that are made up more of immigrants than not, of which there are not many, but the U.S. and Israel are two really good case studies. 
um, they have found through th sociological research that those countries, people who moved from other places, tend to be more entrepreneurial. And the guess is that it's because people who are willing to pick up and leave everything they know and their language and their families are risk takers more so than than people who stay put. And so when you tell me that story, like she just thought there wasn't a lot of opportunity, so they just got on a boat and left everything. I mean, to me, that is just, oh my gosh, the level of hope and risk-taking is part of it, but it's, it's more like, what oh, can I, I do to make my life better? And I think that this is worth it. I feel I like that, that just to bring this back to investing, I feel like that's what we're doing here. Like on a, right. such a lower level, but that's what we're doing here. Well, I, th I love, I, hope definitely has to be a major driver. Um, I would say overconfidence would be another one. <laughs> I would say complete ignorance of what they're about to get into. That's true. I think youth, <laughs> which encompasses all of that, Shorter you lives know, at that time, you know? Yeah, if, you, if you've watched the movie 1893 or 18, 1883, you have the story um, that precedes Yellowstone, right? Of okay. this family moving west. Yellowstone, the show. The show. And I so the family that shows. founded the Yellowstone Ranch was moving west and were accompanying a, a wagon train of Swedish immigrants who didn't speak the language, had no idea what they were getting into mm -hmm. at all, mm -hmm. and were about to die in droves mm -hmm. as a result of all of that complete ignorance and overconfidence, mm -hmm. driven in part by just having restricted circumstances over here versus unlimited possibilities over here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a, they gotta be a different kind of people. They gotta be on, I mean, all of those things kind of describe entrepreneurs. I mean, in all the entrepreneurial companies that I've been involved with, there's a certain uh, lack of attention to reality that's required. Yeah. I mean, look at look at look at what Musk did with putting satellites in space, with <laughs> with building an electric car. I mean, it's just agree. Yeah. Hard agree. Uh, I've watched Elon talk about it, and it's just like, yeah, nobody who had a single clue about what was going to happen would ever do this, and it, it's just ridiculously hard. And um, that's what Charlie Munger said about him. Somebody yeah. asked him, you know, why haven't you invested in Tesla or any of the Musk companies? And he said, because I'm going to paraphrase him, but he roughly said this at a Daily Journal meeting because it's completely ridiculous. There is no reason on earth that any of this stuff should work. And by any measure of quality investing, you would never put money into these things, except right. that sometimes one person makes it work. And he was like, this guy's doing it. This guy's doing it. <laughs> and there's no, there's no, no reason it should work. Now, and I, think, I appreciated I think, him saying that because so many people with hindsight are like, oh, such a good investment. No, no, it's not. I, I think for a long time, people have forgotten 
about risk, you know, and, and particularly in terms of the market. We've now been mm. in a stock market that has really, you know, really been on a, on a straight up rocket ship ride since 2009, at the beginning of 2009. And, um, and it's been fueled by a lot of different government act actions, but it's it's been to a point where people are just going like, oh yeah, well this is just how it all works. And a book came out a year ago called The End of the World is mm. Just the Beginning, meaning okay. that the world as we know it has now started to crumble and will inevitably crumble and become something else. And the something else he has ideas about, but the crumbling he has data about. Who's the and author? It's extraordinary. It's a guy named Peter Zahan, Z-E-I-H-A-N. Um, and the subtitle of the book is Mapping the Collapse of Globalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, his, his point is basically that following World War II, The United States was the only standing superpower left in the world. And we did something like like people talk about America is not exceptional, but and you can find a lot of reasons why not. But here's a reason why it is. And that is America did something that had never before been had happened in the history of the world ever. And that is America had complete control. We had the only standing real Navy, the only standing real army that was left we could take over anything we wanted to take over and for the first time in the history of the world we they it didn't happen america instead rebuilt its enemies germany and japan from scratch funded it all made it absolutely possible for these countries to get back into the world economy and then provided a navy that shielded all of the world from piracy of anything valuable. So tankers um, and supply ships from 1945 on moved around the world un- unhindered, including enemy ships, Russian ships in, in the middle of a Cold War, were unhindered around the world because of the U.S. Navy. It's so how does, how, did that, uh, how does that premise lead to investing info what's the the book about well so the book is about the rise of globalization and specialization that came from secure supply lines that made Mm. it possible for you to assemble an iphone in Mm. china of 40 different components that are made in other countries and which are shipped just in time to get there yes and now and then as a result of that, you get this extraordinary result, uh, lower cost of doing things as countries specialize around the world and then ship over to countries who, who manufacture. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Massively amazing. And here's the point. Um, all of this, including the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency and the U.S. Navy as a global spanning supply chain protector, um, created and massively complex and innovative industries and basically forced all these warring countries to lay down their arms and billions of people have been fed and educated um, on this sort of American-led trade system that's spread all over the globe. 
And his point is, all of this is completely artificial. All of this was completely temporary. Hmm. And all of this is ending. Okay. So first point, it's artificial. That's super interesting about the securitization of the supply chain. I mean, I think that that became, not that being um, the security or lack thereof, of the supply chain became very clear during lockdown and COVID. Yes. Not so much from a security perspective, just from an accessibility perspective. Yeah. Um, in a way that I saw most companies had not prepared for, and I don't think any countries had really prepared for, which really blew me away yeah. as somebody who, you know, little citizen over here just thinking like, well, you know, government is doing its job and yeah, smart no. people right, paying attention. They hadn't thought of that one. So that was super interesting. And so to to look at it from this different, slightly different perspective of actual security that it might be threatened, that's very interesting. I mean, it didn't Um, occur to me that that when these ships weren't arriving at the at ports, it didn't occur to me that they weren't arriving. I just thought that they were ships full of stuff that was made someplace and shipped over to the United States. Right. And Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't like they they didn't get the order or whatever that was it was completely not that it was that to make stuff you have to have ships move around the world constantly oh I and see. so one ship doesn't show up in at a port in india and there's a port in china that can't ship out of material yeah it's essentially an assembly line it's a and giant assembly line well when said. one section goes down everything else gets backed up or doesn't have what it needs so it stops yeah exactly yeah and then you just go holy smokes this thing is so fragile yeah right and then it turns out we wake up in america to the notion that china which is uh you know i I appreciate that zahan is saying things i've been saying for a while which is that china which calls itself a communist nation or a socialist nation is in fact a fascist nation and is operating, you know, with a top-down government with bottom-up capitalism, which is very fascist. Mm-hmm. And they've cracked down on it to bring it more in line with sort of the goals of, of communism. Um, and they're cracking down harder all the time. They're re- reducing freedoms that have been on the rise for 20 years in China. And what happened in COVID was that we suddenly woke up to this shock that this country, which has really different politics and scary politics for Americans who like liberty um, has us by the throat with regard to chip production, pharmaceuticals, uh, computers, all of uh, so many things that we take for granted couldn't be here if it wasn't for China. Well, I mean, by the way, speaking of the assembly line of supply and vice versa, without us taking the stuff that is made there or in any other country and bringing it to market, they just pile up the stuff. Let's say if they had been making it, they would pile up the stuff and it has nowhere to go and nowhere to, nobody to buy it. Now, this well, is ignoring a lot of 
much more detailed important stuff which is like obviously people buy stuff in china you know there's a lot of detail to this but oh, yeah which is to the point people buy stuff in china and china is trying to build an economy that looks more like the u.s which is you know mm-hmm. consumer driven economy instead of an industrial driven economy and they've got a little problem that is right at the root of the end of the world and that is a demographic cliff where china will be with i guess nothing else changing china will have half its population starting as early as 2050 so in will have half its population do what 25 years it will have half the population that it has today because it, it has hit this demographic cliff as have most of the industrialized countries in the world they have now failed to reproduce numbers sufficient to keep up their populations and they are now over the line where you can't recover from it and so what that means is consumption is going to go down we've the world has consumed maximum stuff and is now on its way to less and less consumption and more and more problems social problems will occur because you have less and less workers to feed uh, the mouths of the massive numbers of retirees so you have I won't get into all the issues that the book raises but this is central to it he's Zan is a demographer uh, and has looked really carefully for a long time at demographics and he's basically saying that the of course Africa massive population growth Middle East massive population growth but unfortunately they can't grow their own food and the United States is in its in the process of withdrawing from being the guarantor of global supply. Hmm. We're starting to pull back from that. And as we pull back Meaning from that, specifically this sort of what this like the specifically we, we, like, we wouldn't be guaranteeing that a ship from India will make it to China or a ship from China will make it to Japan. And as the world starts to tighten up and things become scarcer, then state-sponsored piracy will begin again, which has been the history of the seas for the exception of the last, since 1945. Hmm. So So if that does not happen, is his theory moot? If if the United States continues to guarantee the water, the the seaways? Or if a different country, if the waters are guaranteed, let's put it that way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think... Well, you've still got the problem of demographic decline, which is a decline in consumption, which is decline in the need for stuff, which means, you know, stock markets go down. It it isn't going to be even across the world. There's going to be countries which start to starve. Mm -hmm. And then you have the problem of agriculture. And like right now, Ukraine, which is a breadbasket for grain in the world, is not producing grain. and it basically comes down to this. I'll kind of give you a quick summary. There's five countries in the world, in the in the first world, which can continue to reproduce their populations. They're not over the line yet. Um, Sweden, New Zealand, France, Argentina, and the United States. Those five countries are it. Everybody else, like is their birth rates, are close enough to. Close enough the you know 2.2 children that they're supposed to be creating 
Yeah, like if Gen okay. Z and the millennials will reproduce more, then the United States can pull out of this. If they huh. don't, then we won't. But the other countries <laughs> have already passed that point of no return. So it's, it's fascinating that the United States, according to Zan, if all of this transpires, the United States is the one country in the world based on our location in North America and our partners to the North and South that can handle this internally, that we don't need the world. We don't need, we can, we can, we can get away from globalization and still succeed. The rest of the world depends on globalization. Europe massively depends on globalization. Hmm. Um, so it'll be, I, I really strongly recommend you guys read this book. It would, it's starting to make me think in the long run, like over the next 30 years, as this starts to really roll out, what do we want to be invested in? Do we want to be invested in international countries? Do we want to yeah. be invested in international companies? Could, do we like Coca-Cola, which right. has two thirds of its revenue from overseas and its revenue in the U.S. is declining? I mean, I think if you start plugging this in and thinking about where you might want to be, what currencies you might think will be strong, if you look at what this guy's talking about, and 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 by the way, I haven't really vetted it for the um, the inversion. I, I like to know somebody's got to have an inversion out there, right? There's every any time somebody writes a best-selling book, there's bound to be somebody that shows why this is wrong, right? Often, and I haven't very, I haven't found that, and many people yeah. <laughs> are saying that. Um, well, remember, like. However long ago we were saying we should do our little invested book club, maybe this can be our first book. I have not yet succeeded in reading yet in my recovery. I could attempt it. But I'm could a you do scared audio? Too. It's the same kind of concentration. It's concentration that's the mm. issue. Um, so I can do it, but it takes a lot out of me. Um, but I could, I could work on it. So it's this okay. You maybe, can just rely on me to give you a perfect summary. I hate doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you may not. You may not um, want my perfect summary. Tell me again the name of it. Okay, it's called "The End of the World Is Just the Beginning: Mapping the Collapse of Globalization," and it's very accurate. He's mapping and the collapse, the how it rolls out. Really, pretty cool. Who's the author? Peter Zehan, Z-E-I-H-A-N. Z-E-I-H-A-N, okay. And it's Everybody really who's interested. Good, it's a really good read. It is. It sounds like it's some sort of textbook. It's a it really does. good read. Yeah, like it, yeah. it would be enough to keep me a little bit engaged. Oh yeah, he, he uses bad words in it and everything. Because <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what you need, I guess. Not your basic textbook. Talk about the end of civilization as we know it. Hey, it's got bad words in it. It's got bad words in it, so it's probably um, fun to read. Tell me again the countries that you mentioned that he that will succeed are likely to succeed in, succeed in avoiding the demographic disaster. Yeah, is U.S. Sweden, Sweden France, France, U.S. Argentina, New Zealand, New Zealand, Argentina, and Argentina. Interesting. Yeah. So I, of course, immediately think well the eu is a whole different thing and two of those countries no wait sweden sweden and the eu 
I always I can't remember. I know Norway isn't. Um, anyway, they're relatively connected either way. So I think of the EU as a block, which is the entire point of it. And completely anecdotally, one thing I keep noticing with clothing is that uh, European companies are manufacturing clothing in Portugal. This is totally anecdotal. Like I just look at the tag and instead of seeing made in China, I see made in Portugal over and mm. over and over and over. Mm. Mm. And I've actually been kind of thinking like, oh, once I sp- and I'm, I'm able to start researching again, that's something to look into because it's been happening for years. And I do wonder if, if some part of that, I know it's not out of like joyful choices to go to a European nation, but I wonder if it's if the EU has made it less expensive for companies to manufacture in the EU to sell within the EU than to import it from another country like China, which well, if, if is Zane a pretty is big right. thing to do when yeah, it comes I, to something as globally uh, effective. Is that the right word? It, it causes a ripple effect textile manufacturing. So, yeah, that's just uh, once you said that, I started thinking about the clothes and the more the more that I see these tags of made in Portugal. So go Portugal and go Europe for essentially manufacturing locally. And uh, I, I'm curious to see what this book says about Europe. So it is very interesting what it says about Europe. So go read it or go try to read it. It's going to take a while. <laughs> I feel like I announced, oh, we were talking about the intelligent investor. That's right. And then we decided not to read that because it was too hard. Let's make this our first book club. So everybody, let's do, let's do. you know, we forget things, but I have written this down. The end of the world. Peter Zahan. Zahan. Yep. Um, maybe we can get him on the podcast. I'll attempt to read the book. This is going to, you have weeks to do this. There's no rush. Oh, I love it. But let's, let's, go, let's uh, go maybe in September, we'll come back to it. I love it. Let's see if we can get him to talk to us about this thing. Yeah. He's, I mean, uh, he's kind of a big deal not? right now, I think. I mean, we're kind of a big deal. And <laughs> Didn't you hear that we're the number one stock picking podcast? I heard a, that. A title that will never fail to make me laugh. I know. It's like, <laughs> mm, competition must be pretty thin. <laughs> because we don't pick stocks. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dad. And we'll be back next week. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm going to go after. Yeah, let's go. To, let's go see if we can get. Peter Zan, I love it. So let's talk some more about this. And if we can't, we'll never mention it again. And let's let's try to figure out where should we be pushing money if he's right, and what if he's wrong? What's the alternatives that are going on there? Anyway, totally cool. Yeah, we'll talk totally to you guys cool. next week. Okay, thanks everybody. Till then, Bye. time to go play. See ya. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. 
So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.